This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. It is really amazing to me, and I want you to sense this, that that I knew exactly what songs we were going to sing. I knew exactly uh, what I was going to preach this morning, and yet still, knowing all of that, it is amazing how the Spirit of God can move in my heart and in our midst. And that's just, that's the gracious gift of God's presence. I want you to know that. That is the gracious gift of the presence of God that he would come into this place and by his spirit he would speak and he would move and there is nothing we want more in all of the world than that. God's presence in us, among us, speaking to us. So I praise the Lord just for his gracious gift of his presence among us. I told you in our first week of the book of Jonah uh, that the book of Jonah might be the most well-known and yet most misunderstood book in the Old Testament. It is well known because a guy gets eaten by a fish and vomited up. So that makes for a good story. It is misunderstood primarily because when you hear the story, you hear the story told as if there's only three chapters in the book of Jonah when in fact there are four. And if you were to just preach the three chapters, it's just this really neat and tidy and understandable story that is about somebody else and doesn't really penetrate our heart except for just to encourage us. It is a beautiful story that uh, God's prophet ran from God and God chased after him by his mercy. He then repented. He went to the city God had called him to do. He preached the gospel and thousands of people, the entire city responded in humility and pled for the favor of the Lord and God sent probably the greatest revival we have ever recorded in scripture. And so that's, that's a great story. And if it ends right there, it's incredible. But there's another chapter. And that chapter reminds us that the ugliest and slimiest and darkest part of the book of Jonah is not found in the belly of the whale. The darkest, slimiest, The most disgusting part of the book of Jonah is found in Jonah's heart. That's the dark part of the book of Jonah. And we see it a little bit in the beginning, but we don't really fully see it until we get to chapter 4 and start to see that the reason this book has been written for us and the reason that we have it and the reason they had it then is that God was using Jonah not only to expose something that wasn't right in his heart, but to use him as a picture of what's happening in the nation of Israel as a whole. This is how God used prophets. And even today, we see the exact same sins in the ministry that Jesus confronted. And so we have to believe as well that these are common temptations and sins and tendencies that we have as the people of God. What God is specifically doing is he's using Jonah to show us how easy it is for us to miss God's heart of mercy. And what God is showing to Jonah is that there are some sins that are present in his life that we don't really start to see until Jonah 4. And these sins are the enemies of mercy. These sins are the reason that 
Jonah cannot even himself fully grasp the gospel and the reason that Jonah himself cannot extend God's mercy to the nations or to everyone else. They show us why Jonah is running. They give an explanation behind his rebellion. There are two paragraphs in Jonah 4, both of them exposing an enemy to mercy. And so we want to look at one of them this morning and one of them the next week as we conclude our series next week. But I want you to see that these are common enemies of our soul and certainly enemies to us extending the mercy of God. Now, Jonah chapter 3 is absolutely incredible. Uh, It tells us in verse 10 that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. And when it says they in verse 10 of chapter 3, we can go down to the very end of chapter 4 in verse 11. And it tells us more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And God is saying, this is the amount of people that heard the message, that repented, that humbled themselves, and that were spared from the outpouring of the wrath of God. And to put that in perspective... The recent count we have is in 2020. It tells us there are about 130,000 people in Clark County. So just imagine, putting this in perspective, this is as if every single person in Clark County at one moment repented of their sins, humbled themselves, and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Would that be a miracle? That is absolutely incredible. It's almost imagine that, that that guy that stands out in front of UGA games and holds the sign and has the megaphone that tells everybody to repent... It's almost as if he were to do that. And at one of the games, he does it. And somehow, everyone that hears it begins to believe. And they cancel the game because everyone that is in the stadium and everyone that is on the field, immediately one moment, gets on their knees and says, God, forgive us for our idolatry. God, forgive us for our sins. All we want is you. Would that be incredible? And Jonah teaches us that it can happen. So next time you walk by that guy, Instead of being condescending by what he's doing, first of all, recognize he's doing more than you're doing at the moment. And second, that's exactly what Jonah did. He stood on a corner and said, the wrath of God is going to come upon you, and an entire city was transformed. And let me just tell you this. If Jonah 3.10 is not true, we should just close the doors, sell the building, and go home and never come back. Because Jonah 3.10 tells us that our God is a responsive God. He tells us that if you will confess your sins, he will save you. If you will turn from your sins, he will give you eternal life. He tells us that his grace is greater than all of your sins. He tells us that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He is a responsive God that draws near and comes near and blesses those who seek him. That is the reason we gather on a Sunday morning. We believe our God hears us and receives us. And so it is. We have this responsive God. It is an incredible moment. I mean, from the second chance that God gives Jonah in Jonah 3 all the way to him sparing this entire city, this right here in chapter 3 is as good as it gets in terms of understanding and seeing the heart of our God. And maybe that's why chapter 4 verse 1 is so surprising. (laughs) Because chapter 4, verse 1, look at it there. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now look at that little phrase, displeased Jonah exceedingly. Mark that down. That's very significant because, as I've told you, this is poetic language, and there's a lot of little play on words in the Hebrew, and this is certainly one of it. 
the word that's actually used there is the Hebrew word for evil. The real translation would be, this is exceedingly evil to Jonah. That would be the exact phrase. It is exceedingly evil to Jonah. And the word evil is the same word that's used three times in the book of Jonah to refer to the evil of Nineveh. You can see it in chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord says, their evil has come upon me. Three times it talks about the evil of Nineveh, and we know that they were evil. They were the most vile and godless and violent uh, people known on earth. This is one of the reasons Jonah didn't want them to be spared. And so God says, I've seen their evil. But what's interesting is the fourth time this word is used, it's used to describe it, Jonah. But this is the only time the word exceedingly is used with it. Now that's important because what it means is this. Jonah's disgust over what God did in sparing Nineveh is seen by Jonah as greater than God's disgust over the sin of Nineveh. That in Jonah's mind, what God has done is more evil than what Nineveh had done in all of their violence and greed and war. It says in the end of that verse, look, that Jonah was angry. Do you see that? Well, that word angry means to be irate or insanely angry. It is a word that means often to boil with anger. Sometimes it's just used to refer to something that is boiling, but here it refers to the boiling anger of, of, uh, of Jonah. And look what it says in 3.8. I want you to notice this. I'm sorry, 3.9. In chapter 3, it says, Who knows that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. Same word to refer to Jonah. Jonah has fierce anger. He is very deeply bothered by the fact that God has spared Nineveh. And all of it is caused by the word it. Do you see that? That's an important word. Chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Well, what is the it? The it was exactly what we saw in verse 10. The it was the fact that God sent Jonah to preach the good news to Nineveh. And that Nineveh heard the good news and responded. And then that God relented of his anger and spared them from judgment. That's what Jonah's so angry about. He is burning with fierce anger. And he sees as more evil than all of the evil that Nineveh had done, the fact that God chose to not pour out his fiery wrath upon the people of Nineveh. And so here's Jonah, and we'll see this more next week, comes up to the side of a hill and he's watching. And the only hope he has is that just like it happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, that the fierce anger and wrath of God would be poured down in fire upon the city and the entire city would be consumed. And when that didn't happen, Jonah is furious. That's exactly what he wanted to happen. And so it's just interesting that in chapter 3, verse 10, God relents of his anger. And then in Jonah 4, 1, Jonah picks up his anger. But it's not the same anger. God's anger was a holy and a righteous anger. He was angry at rebellion. He was angry at injustice, which we should become angry at injustice. Jonah's anger was an unrighteous anger. He was angry at God. And he was angry that the people of Nineveh had been spared. And so he prays. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed. Now, we, we've seen him pray once before. He prayed in chapter 2. Matter of fact, almost all of chapter 2 is a prayer. But that prayer feels different. 
Jonah had been sinking down to the bottom of the sea, and the language there is very slow and very dramatic, that he had been thrown over, and he goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and the weeds are coming up over his head, and he's drowning. He knows that there's no hope. God just lets him get to the bottom, to the very, very bottom before God saves him. But then God sends a whale, not in punishment, but in mercy, because the whale swallowed him up and kept him there for three days. And while he was in the whale, he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so thankful for your mercy and your kindness. And, and only a God like you could save me. And he just was rejoicing and giving thanksgiving for the mercy of God. And that's why he prayed. He prayed because he was so thankful that God had showed him mercy. But here he prays again. But this time he's praying not with pleasure and joy, but with anger. And he's angry that the same mercy that was shown to him was now shown to Nineveh. That's why he's angry. And he begins to pray to the Lord, and in his prayer, he finally shows us the, the reason why he ran from God in the first place. Look what it says. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So finally he tells us. We see him run in chapter 1, but we don't get the reason until chapter 4. Jonah says, God, this is exactly why I didn't want to go here. This is exactly why I ran away from you. You say, well, why is it? Well, look at what he says. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. What Jonah's saying is, God, the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh is because I was afraid that what you would do is exactly what you would do. I was afraid that somehow you would relent and you would not destroy the people of Nineveh. I would be afraid that they would hear my message, they would see your heart, and they would turn from their sin. I was afraid that somehow they might humble themselves and you might not pour your fierce anger upon them. God, this is exactly what I didn't want to happen. You say, well, how mad was he? Well, look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to me to die than to live. That is some serious drama right there. I'll tell you how mad I am. I'd rather die. And he, he's going to say it again at the end of the chapter. I'd just rather die. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I would rather die than see you spare Nineveh. I would rather die than to see your mercy that you've extended to me extend to someone else. God, all I wanted is for you to destroy this nation, and I would rather die than see you be this merciful. I remember last week, we said that one of the most surprising things in the beginning of Jonah 3 is that God did not give Jonah any kind of lecture. <laughs> Because Jonah had run from God and he had caused all kinds of drama on himself and all kinds of pain on someone else. Because every time when you run from God, you cause yourself pain and everyone else pain. And everyone would, you, every time you join with someone running from God, you get in the middle of their storm. And Jonah ran and he was angry and God vomited him up. I believe as a sign of God's disgust at his own self-righteousness, even when he was in the whale. And yet we come to Jonah Slimy and disgusting, just having been vomited up, and he gets no lecture from the Lord. The Lord just says, all right, let's just go and do what I told you to do the first time. Now, I understand God being slow to mercy and gracious and kind, and so I, I'm really grateful for the fact that God did not lecture Jonah in chapter 3, but it feels like right now it's time. It's time for God to say, all right, Jonah, this is pitiful. 
Like I, I've been in Jonah for a long time. Like we've been in it together like five or six weeks. I was in it a few months before that. And at this point, I'm just really tired of him. Like it just feels like he needs a talking to, right? Like Jonah, do you, do you, do you even, are, are you that blind to everything going on? And he is, but once again, he doesn't get a lecture. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that our God is a wonderful counselor. Meditate on that for a while. Our God is a wonderful counselor. And what God does to Jonah is exactly what a good counselor would do. And so you sit before a counselor and he says, tell me about yourself and everything going on and be honest with me. And in a moment of vulnerability, you just kind of throw up everything that's going on in your life and everything that's in your heart. And what the counselor is actually doing is thinking, oh, <laughs> like he's trying to hold himself in like, that's rough. And he's also seeing dollar signs because he's going, that's like 12 sessions at least. That's, I promise you that's what he's thinking. Like he's heard it all, but he's still shocked when you say it, right? Like, oh. But he doesn't say that. You know what he does if he's a good counselor? He doesn't say, you know, your problem, you're an idiot. He doesn't say that. That's what he wants to say. I've wanted to say that a lot. He doesn't say that. If he's a good counselor, he asks a question. Where do you think that's coming from? What do you think's, what do you think's going on behind the scenes there? And he causes us to examine ourselves, and like a good counselor, that's exactly what happens. Look at verse four. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> are, you, are you justified in your anger? Like, do you think somehow that this anger is right? Like, the Lord would say, my, my anger was justified. I was angry at the injustice and the violence of these people. You're angry because I showed them mercy. Where's this anger coming from? And like any good counselor would do, what he's trying to do is this. He's trying to get Jonah to examine his anger. Like, Jonah, why are you this angry? What is happening in your heart that would be the cause of all of this? Because wouldn't you acknowledge there's some really sick problem in Jonah's heart? Would you acknowledge that? Something is wrong for him to have this much anger and be so angry at God's mercy. But it's not a theological problem because Jonah just told us the truth. I knew you, and I knew you would do that. And so it's not a theological problem. It's a, it's a heart problem. And what God is saying to him is he's saying, Jonah, I want you to, to examine your, your anger. What's the cause of it? Now listen, this is going to help some of you. Anger functions in our life like the warning sign that might come up in your car. The problem is not the sign, the problem is something else. And the sign exists to show you that there's something bigger going on that you can't see. And so getting mad at the light that comes on doesn't help fix the problem. I told this story in the first service, I had someone come up to me and said, uh, when I was a kid, we had this old van. And one time we were on a family trip and an engine light came on and my dad got so irritated, he got a piece of duct tape and put it on the dashboard so he couldn't see it. That doesn't fix the problem. Now let me tell you something. Trying to fix your anger is not the issue. Anger is always pointing to something else. It is a warning light that there is something wrong in our souls. Anger is one of the most significant emotions that we experience. And sometimes there is good and righteous anger. But most of the anger we feel is rooted in a deeper issue. And God wants to take your anger and show you that there's a reason behind it. It's exposing us. 
I love the way that Eugene Peterson says this. Listen carefully. He says, anger is most useful as a diagnostic tool. When anger erupts in us, it's a signal that something is wrong. Something isn't working right. There is evil or incompetence or stupidity lurking about. Anger is our sixth sense for snigging out wrong in the neighborhood. But listen, what anger fails to do is to tell us whether the wrong is outside of us or inside of us. We usually begin by assuming that the wrong is outside of us. Our spouse or our child or our God has done something wrong and we are angry. This is what Jonah did and he quarreled with God. But when we track that anger carefully, we often find out that it leads to a wrong within us. You see, anger is mostly rooted in our desire to be God and our desire to be served and our desire to be worshiped because most anger erupts in us when we think someone else has done something that was unfair or unjust or they did something that I didn't like or they did something that hurt me. Most of our anger comes from our perception that someone else has done something and I have the right to be angry about it. But most of the time, they're not the problem, we are. The anger is in our heart. And it's trying to tell us something. It is this warning sign. And so it is in, in Jonah's life. What's happening with Jonah is saying, God is doing something I don't like and I'm mad about it. And what the Lord says is, well, why don't we look at that anger and see if there is something behind it? Because the problem is not with God. God is doing exactly what he said he's going to do. And he's doing exactly what Jonah knew he was going to do. The problem is in Jonah's heart. And Jonah's anger is doing what anger usually does, exposing what we really love the most. It's exposing something in his heart. There is some enemy in Jonah's soul. And his anger is, is showing that there's a problem. There is an enemy of mercy. There is a sin in his heart. There is a reason behind the anger. And there is two of them. But the first one we see in the first paragraph is that his anger is exposing his idolatry. His anger is exposing his idolatry. That's the first of the two enemies of the soul. We'll see the second one next week. His anger is showing that deep in his heart, there is idolatry. God is messing with what Jonah loves the most. And you know what it was? It wasn't God. One of the keys to Jonah, and we've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks, is, is noticing how blind Jonah is. Like so much so that we want to look at Jonah and go, Jonah, do you not see all the mercy that is around you? And the reality is he just doesn't. He's just, he's just blind to the working of God. And one of the best examples of that is Jonah 2.8. Write that down. It's a very important passage for this. In Jonah 2.8, Jonah makes this profound statement while he's in the belly of the whale praying. And he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's a beautiful phrase. What he's saying is idolaters, they miss out on God. And the reason is, is because they've created a, another God. And so they get what that God offers, but that God doesn't offer anything. And there is a real God that is offering steadfast love. There is a real God that is offering kindness. There is a real God that is offering direction. There is a real God that is offering revelation. Everything your heart is longing for is found in the real God. But if you have another God, you get nothing. And he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They have no hope in this life or the next life. And they do not receive the loving kindness of God. The only problem is when Jonah said that, he was thinking about those pagan idolatrous sailors that were in the boat with him. 
And he was thanking God that he's not like that because here was Jonah's thing. He was thinking about the people of Nineveh and all the sailors and all of their little pagan gods. And he knew that he didn't have any of those in his bags. But what he didn't realize is that idols don't just come in the form of little statues. There are idols of the heart. And Jonah, we find in the book of Jonah, was the biggest idolater of them all. Because an idol is anything we love and anything we desire more than God. Get that down. That's so important. An idol is anything we love and anything we desire more than God, anything we want more than God, anything we long for more than God, everything, anything that we serve that holds our attention, our affection more than God, whatever that is, that's your God. And you have to ask yourself the question, is that thing really big enough to sustain you? Is that thing really big enough to build your life on? Is that thing so solid that it's never going to crumble and never going to go away? So you are, fate, you, are, you are safe putting all of your affection and all of your love and all of your hope in that thing? And I want you to know if you examine it, there is no little g God that will ever be a solid foundation apart from the Lord God. All of them will crumble at some point. And what's happening to Jonah is the things that he loved the most were being taken from him. His response was anger, which was showing him, Jonah, there's a problem in your heart. Now, Jonah had one primary idol. It's clear from all the book of Jonah, and it may not be yours, but it's an example of how these idols work. Jonah's idol was his nation, his country. I heard someone say, the problem with Jonah is that Jonah is a nationalist and God is an internationalist. That the reason Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be saved is because he believed Nineveh was a threat to the safety of his own nation, Israel. And he could not comprehend why God would not take Israel's side and in so doing destroy Nineveh. And the reason is this, is because God does not take any nation's side, God takes his own side. And God is building a kingdom that is not made up of any individual nation. God is building a kingdom made up of every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. But Jonah did not want that to be the case. Jonah wanted one nation, Israel, and any threat to that nation should be destroyed. He did not understand that, yes, they were the chosen people of God, but God chose them so that he might bless them, so that through the blessing, other nations might be blessed. And this is what happens. To any nation, to any individual, to any family, let me tell you this is what happens. God blesses us, and the moment we fail to realize that that blessing exists so that we might bless others, all of a sudden we don't love God, we love the blessing. So God gives us a good gift. He provides for us financially. He gives us physical health. He gives us good relationships. Every bit of that is a blessing from God. And God is saying, I'm giving you these things. I'm giving you all of these things, all of your gifts, all of your talent, that you might be a blessing to others. But the moment in which that blessing becomes God, then we have missed the point of the blessing. And so what's happening to Jonah is Jonah's having his life taken from him. His nation is now being threatened. And when that happens, all of a sudden he's being exposed that what he loves the most is not God. What he loves the most is his nation. And that's why we pray Psalm 67 all the time here, that God would be gracious to us and bless us and his face shine upon us. Listen, I am unashamedly praying every day for me, my family, and this church that we would get the outpouring of the blessing of God. I don't have any problem praying that, that God would open up the heavens and pour out his blessing upon us in every way that his name may be known on the earth, his salvation among all people. 
You can pray every day unashamedly with great confidence that God would pour out his blessing upon you if you understand the reason for that blessing is that people might come to know him. But Jonah had forgotten that. We see it in chapter one, verse eight as well. Look at chapter one, verse eight, write that down. Remember when the sailors said, Jonah, tell us who you are. <laughs> Remember they cast lots and Jonah wasn't saying anything. They were wondering why the boat was going down and Jonah knew it was him, but he wouldn't say anything. So they cast lots and he gets exposed. And it says, tell us on whose account this evil has come up on you. What's your occupation and where do you come from? What's your country and what people are you? And he said, and here is the foundation of Jonah's identity. I am a Hebrew. That's his, that's his identity. You see, because back home, he's a prophet and he's loved and he's respected and everything he says, everybody honors. He has found all of his identity in who he is as a prophet. He has found all his identity in how much people love and respect him. And all of a sudden you take that away and you put him in a foreign nation where no one knows who he is. And he realizes that his identity is so fragile, it's crumbled and he's got nothing left. He's lost his identity. His idols are crumbling. His nation may be threatened, and all of a sudden we find that the reason that Jonah ran is because he had a God that God was trying to take in order that he might see that his God was fragile. God is threatening Jonah's God because God wants Jonah's heart. We see that what Jonah loved most, and Jonah's God was his nationality and his identity and all of a sudden he's angry because all those things are threatened. And there are two ways in which God exposes Jonah's idols. He exposes them by giving him a command he doesn't want to obey and by putting him in a circumstance that he doesn't want to be in. Think about this. This is the way God exposes our idols, always. There is some command that God gives you that you don't want to obey or there is some circumstance that you think is unjust. This is how it happens. So God gives you a command. God says, obey. God says, give. God says, serve. God says, it's forgive. God says, reconcile a relationship. God says, love someone. God says, stop doing this. And all of a sudden, what we realize is if we recoil at that command of God and we don't do what he says, we won't give up what he says. What we realize is the thing we love is not God. It's that thing we won't give up, right? Or that thing we refuse to do. And so all of a sudden, one command that God gives can expose a heart filled with idolatry. Or maybe it's a circumstance that has happened in your life that you feel is not just. Maybe God has done something in your life and he's allowed something in your life and it's been so hard and so painful and legitimately so. That you just can't comprehend how a God would allow that to happen and the anger that you're experiencing is an anger that comes out of the fact that God did something that you don't think is right. And something else has come inside of your heart and has become the thing you love because the sense of injustice has made you think that God cannot be the center of your life. And that's exactly what's happening to Jonah. Jonah's world is being torn apart. But let me tell you something. When God does that to us, it is one of the most painful and beautiful things that he can ever do. It is painful for God to take the idols of your heart and crush them and leave you feeling empty. And it's so gracious because what he wants to do is put something in its place that is real and solid and cannot be shaken. It's called being graciously exposed. I was gonna tell a prolonged story this morning. I don't have time to do it, but I will tell you this. There was a season of my life in which I felt that God had already messed with my wife through sickness and he had already messed with me and now he was going out for one of my kids. 
And I remember getting my face before God in her room. I mean, it's so mad. The things that came out of my mouth, there's no way you'd let me be my pastor, your pastor. I was so angry. Like, mess with me, that's fine. Mess with my wife, don't mess with my kids. What God was doing, though, he was graciously exposing me. He's going to my heart and said, Josh, that anger is not justified. God was coming after me. God was coming after my heart. It is a painful and beautiful thing. That's what God's doing for you. That's what God's doing for you. Whatever it is, that command that you say, I'm not doing that. I'm not following through with that. Well, that's because there's something else you love more. You say, well, God did this and it doesn't seem right. Well, there's something in there that is not right. And so the questions we ask ourselves this morning is, God, is there, is there any command you're giving me that I will not obey? Is there anything you're going to ask me to give up? Is there anything you're going to ask me to give up? Is there any thing, place you're going to tell me to go or anything you're going to tell me to give that I won't do it? Well, if that's true, then there's something you love more than God. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a trite question. That's a heavy question. But it's not as heavy as spending your life building it on some fragile foundation that will not last and you come to the end of your life and realize that everything has fallen because it was founded on something that didn't matter. And the question is, do you say, God, I trust you with my circumstances. I trust you with my pain. I trust that you are good and that you are right. And I trust that behind every providence and every circumstance and every event in my life, there is a good and gracious God that loves me like he loves his own son, Jesus Christ. And everything he does comes out of a good heart. It is with that place that we say, Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we will now gladly surrender ourselves to you. We say, Lord, you are all in me. There is nothing I want more than you. Because the biggest problem with Jonah is this. At the very center of his life was not God. It was something else. And when that's true, we are headed for a lot of pain and disappointment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.